G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Um, I think a recession in the US is inevitable at this point. The Fed has only once succeeded since 1961 in avoiding a recession when they're raising rates to kill inflation. So they've tried it nine times. They won all nine times. Just so you know, the Fed's very good at killing inflation. But of eight of those nine victories came with an artificial induced recession, right? Eight times. And uh, the, the ninth time, the one time that they did succeed, they were raising rates at a third of the speed that they're raising at right now. So the last four increases were 0.75. Collectively, that's a 3% increase in the Fed funds rate. That is the fastest single increase in history. I don't think that that in any way combines with getting away without a recession. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, the pleasure of speaking with Neil Barwa. Now, Neil is a technologist who is a universally known in the real estate circles as the mad scientist of multifamily. Neil has a portfolio of over a billion dollars and he treats this portfolio as an ongoing experiment in efficiency and optimization. Now, the mad scientist lives by two mantras. The first is that we can only manage what we measure. And the second mantra is that data beats gut feel by a million miles. These mantras and mantras, I should say, and a dozen other disruptive beliefs drive profits for his 800 investor plus port, you know, people in his CRM. So I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge with us. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Neil. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? G'day. Uh, it's fantastic to be on the podcast finally. We've talked about it and now we finally get to do it. Yeah, I know. It's been a minute. I actually, I feel like I've seen you enough on my social media links that I thought you were already on the show, and like we, we rub shoulders in so I'm many a, different I'm circles. Everywhere I'm on, yeah, you're on everywhere. Exactly, exactly. But um, we'll get into what you've been up to in a bit. But I want to unpack the uh, the old Neil, you know, the young Neil, and uh, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Yeah, it was actually the first ever rupee. So I was uh, 12 years old, and inkjet printers had come out back then. There was this company called Epson. I think they are still around. They used to make inkjet printers. So I went to my mom and I said, hey, I need to buy an inkjet printer. And she's like, 
it costs 16,000 rupees. I mean, that's like a month's salary. I'm not paying it for you. So I said, what if I was able to do some desktop publishing type, you know, documents for people? And she said, yeah, but, you know, how are you going to do that? So I said, the neighbor's got one. Maybe I can do it for him for a week and prove it to you that I can do it. So I went to all of the shops. So there would used to be like individual shops in India. There still are. And I would go there and I would beg them to let me put a brochure on. So I printed like a eight and a half by 11 brochure talking about my desktop publishing skills and things like that. And I put those things up there. And uh, sure enough, the, the phone started ringing and people started coming in with interest. So for a week, I begged my, my neighbor to use his printer. And then after a, a week, I had a brand new Epson printer and it took me about 18 months to pay back my mom back for that printer. And as I went through the process, people started coming in not for desktop publishing, but for uh, brochure design. So I, I got into brochure design using a software called PageMaker, Aldous PageMaker. And then from there on, I went on to being an exclusive designer of movie posters. So there's so many B and C grade Indian movies that, you know, they used to have less money. So they would basically show up at my house and I'd sit there and, you know, crop out famous movie artists and put their, you know, stuff into posters. So you can imagine what's on the wall of my bedroom in India are all the posters that I made for movie artists. And, and that really got me into entrepreneurship and into, you know, learning how to make my own money. I never made a huge amount of money doing it, but it was just an incredible amount of fun. Yeah, no, I could imagine. And it's something that sounds like you're very passionate about. And, and as a kid, being curious about different softwares and, and, and back in the day when software was such a new entity in this world, right? And so many people didn't know a lot about it and were probably scared about it to have yep. a young kid just uh, showing them the ropes and, and creating these posters. That's, that's freaking They'd be awesome. shocked, right? I mean, I, I'm, I was 16 years old and they would come up and they would be like, no, 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 I want to talk to this Neil Bawa guy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm Neil Bawa. And like, you're the guy that designed that poster for that company? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, no. And it's like, come sit down next to me. Because I, I basically had a desk with two chairs. So they'd have to sit next to me. And then we'd basically sit and design it on the screen in front. Of, I, had a, I had a 12 inch monitor that we were designing using CorelDRAW. That's awesome. That's awesome. But walk us through the journey to entrepreneurship and, and, and the, the story of moving to the United States yeah. before you got into the, the, the world of multifamily real estate. Yeah, well, the, the challenge was that even though my mom liked what I was doing with the printer thing, but in the end, she was like every other Indian parent, you know, you need to be an engineer or a doctor, so you got to pick one of those branches. So I went to computer school, got my degree, and then showed up in the US, uh, you know, on an H-1B visa. Luckily, timing mm -hmm. was awesome because it was 1997. So, right, you could, you, you, you know, there'd be 50 companies lining up to hire you in 1997 as a, as a software engineer. So I went in, I built enterprise networks for Cisco in the San Francisco Bay Area, had 30 people working for me at one point. Uh, yeah, I was still working for a company, but these people, I was recruiting them. So I had a great tech career and eventually the company ended up making me a partner. And, and um, we, we started growing and we were doing all this growth. And one day my CEO said, you know, we, I hate being, you know, I, I, our landlord hates us and we hate our landlord. Let's figure out how to build our own building. So I'm one of those weird people in real estate whose first experience in real estate was not a single family rental. I didn't even own my own home. I was renting with somebody else, but I was building a $6 million campus from scratch. And we basically wow. figured out how to do it as we, we bought a piece of land and then we figured out what we had to do. We didn't even know words like zoning and permitting and entitlement. We would just show up at the city and say, how do we take this piece of land and turn it into a campus, right? So by the time we ended up, it was so wildly profitable, Reed, that it was the, the catalyst for our growth. So I learned about real estate in a completely different fashion as a accelerator to my technology business. And then one year later, I realized something massive that I didn't pay any taxes because I was a partner in that building. And once the depreciation started coming in from a gigantic building like that, I wasn't paying any taxes. And that got me fantastically hooked onto real estate. And then in 2008, and by, by, this, by this time, 2008, the crash had happened. So the timing was great. Uh, I did a lot of data analysis and I can, I can tell you the story of that in detail, but basically I went out and did the exact opposite of what people were telling me. My family refused to talk with me for 18 months for doing so. But as a result, I ended up starting to make 10 times my salary in real estate. Mm. And mm. I was still, I was still doing full-time tech, full-time salary, but I was noticing I'm making way more money on the other side. And so uh, over six years, I sold my company, the technology company in 2013 and, and fully transitioned in late 2013, early 24, 20, 2014. 
and 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 obviously been good timing where it's been the, the biggest run in bull market in, in yes. multifamily and incredible run you know incredible run so what has been over the last call it what seven yeah more than that so eight years eight years eight years what have you been what have you bought you know and, and, and where have you come full cycle because i know in the green room before pressing play here we you know i want to get into what you're, you're building today okay so so early on, very, very, very standard, right? So I'm going to go back a little bit from the eight years. I'll go back to 2009 because that's really where I started. In 2009, my, you know, I'm a data scientist by profession. So my data science was telling me that buying real estate was, it was impossible to lose money. But every me, every, every party that I would go to, people would basically just be bashing real estate. And I'm t- trying to tell them, look, you're buying something that at this point is costing basically 40% of what it costs to build it. And on mm-hmm. day one, you can be profitable. On day one, you can be making thousands of dollars. Nobody was willing to listen to me. As I said, my family basically would would refuse to talk with me because they were so afraid that I was going to burn all of my money in real estate. So I said, you know, if I'm going to go and make this stupid mistake, I might as well use data. So later on, if I screw up, at least I can show people I used some data and maybe that'll get me some leniency. So I, 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 start, I went to a Ukrainian hacker and I mined the Zillow website and the Bureau of Labor Statistic website and basically mashed it together to see which city in the United States had fallen the most from the 2005 peak. And I was very lucky in that the city happened to be 144 miles from my house in the San Francisco Bay area. It was near Fresno, it was called Madeira, California. So I show up there, I go to a broker and I say, are there building available? He says, Neil, half the city is for sale. And I say, okay, so shouldn't I buy half the city? He's like, yeah, but where are you going to find tenants? And he was right. I mean, the, the half the city was empty. They had all these brand new construction homes that had been sold to agricultural workers who had since disappeared, Mexicans, and they had disappeared. And so now the, half the city was empty. But these were beautiful homes. They were selling them for $100,000 each, probably cost 200 grand to build, four bedroom houses, beautiful, two floors. And I'm like, I want as many of these as possible, but I have to find a way to rent them. Otherwise, I'm going to bleed. Another 20 miles to Fresno, I go find a broker and I tell him, I want to buy one old property, old, old property. It got to be at least 25 years old in Fresno. So he sells me a property the next week. And I take that property and start advertising it on 30 different job engine and uh, um, rental engines using my Ukrainian hacker. So he writes me a script and it's now like this property is the most famous property on the web. Now I have hundreds of leads coming in. And I hire a Filipino uh, worker. I now have 20 employees in the Philippines, but she was my first. So I hire this person to basically pick up the phone and talk to all these leads and give them money to convince them to come to Madeira, which is 20 miles mm-hmm. away. And we managed to convince enough people to start getting a flow of people from Fresno into Madeira. And, and by the time we, it started to work out, I was confident. I was like, I can rent these homes. So I started to one after the other buy them eventually ended up buying 13 single family homes. And that basically got things started for me and gave me enough money to start to research real estate. But the biggest thing that stayed, it was the data science. So then I went on and created a toolkit called the Location Magic Toolkit. This took about a year to do using a statistical software called R. And that Location magic thing sort of just exploded because there were so many nerds and geeks and dorks in the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, this is Silicon Valley, right? I would go and do a webinar about using data science to to find the best cities in the US to invest in and tell people my story. And the first time there were four people read, like a year later, there were 200 in the room, right? Like there were all these geeks and nerds and dorks. Now you can imagine hundreds of them are my investors. And, and for four years, I was basically building this toolkit while people are telling me, how do I invest with you? And I'm like, no, 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 you're standing inside my technology company. You're in a conference room of my tech company. I run a tech company. I'm just sharing this because I think it's really cool. And people are like, you got to find a way to monetize this, Neil. And then in around 2012, enough people had told me that I was like, I think it's time for me to sell my technology company. So we sold it in 13. In 14, I get into real estate. Like most people, I start with small multifamily. I think the first one was seven units, and then I jumped and 200 units and basically bought about three, $400 million worth of multifamily. And then I started getting a feeling that multifamily was getting too expensive. I was wrong at that point, because this is just 2017, and obviously subsequently got a lot more expensive. And so what I did was I decided to split my business into two pieces. And the first business would keep buying multifamilies, which I do to this day. And then the second piece, would, um, in addition to, to buying multifamilies, 
would start to build. And so I, I wanted to learn how to build. So I first partnered with, uh, with uh, other folks that were building. So I sort of became their equity pipeline to just to learn and to get figure out what this whole process was like. I had built before. Remember, I'd built a campus in 2003, but this was different. It was multifamily and I needed to you know learn the ropes. So I, I did a few projects with them. And then eventually I opened my own development div division, hired my in-house in staff that does the development process. And so those things went really well. So at the same time, we were doing value adds, and that was helping me with depreciation and, and giving cash flow to my investors. But I think by 2019, 50% of our business was going into large development projects, much more profitable, much higher fees. And that was working well. And then in 2020, I met a company. It was January 2020. I met this company that sold me on the concept of wellness real estate. They said, Wellness in real estate, the concept of purified air, purified water, circadian rhythms, this is going to be the next 30 years. This is going to be, you know, just like low flow toilets. Reed knows exactly what I'm talking about when, when I talk about low flow toilets. In the 80s, low flow toilets were a big thing. And now we don't ever build a building without those things. And so this is like wellness is the next thing. And I, and I thought about it. And they wanted to do a multi-billion dollar company in, at the beginning of uh, 2020. And I'm like, I'm not that courageous. So I said, how about we do something tiny, like really small? And so we built a 32 unit wellness project in, in Houston starting 2020. And once I started that process, I realized they were absolutely right. So then over the next two years through COVID, which was crazy because I mean, we started the plan about four months before COVID and all of a sudden we looked like rock stars after COVID because everyone cares about wellness real estate and, and the company whose equipment we were using, their sales tripled overnight. They like their sales just went through the roof and now everyone's like, we care about air, we care about water, we care about health. And so we were, we were like, okay, we got to rise, ride the tsunami. So we ended up doing five projects in 2020 and 2021. And then in 2021, I was like, it's time to develop this into a company. So I'll stop here, but basically, you know, that, that was sort of the journey, the multifamily journey. And on the way I played with storage and industrial and student housing, but I never left my core of multifamily because that's what I felt the most comfortable with. Well, it also sounds like you've done a lot of pivoting along the way, you know, and, and I know you personally, and it's, you, you know, the mad scientist, you, you, you have that, you know, that the shiny object syndrome, but you're, you're one of those guys that actually goes out and picks up the shiny object, right? And, 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 and hopefully has a team to support you in your big, big idea thinking. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm actually reading Richard Branson's book and you, you, you have a lot of, you know, similarities with him, like the, the way he thinks about like, let's go and create something in a different niche outside of what, you know, we're already doing, but it can be a symbiotic relationship with the current business of multifamily. So really, really love that. Um, let's talk about wellness real estate. I'm, I'm interested. My, my wife is an eco uh, interior designer. She uses all, you know, you, 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 the word lead is, is popped around a lot, but you know, lead is also just another way to slap on 20% more on any products. Um, but, but but building from a more holistic way and, and you know, off-gassing and different paints and, mm -hmm. you know, re renewable um, resources in terms of flooring and, and where you're getting your waste from 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 a construction site um talk to me about how the wellness you know the ecosystem of a, of a, a wellness real estate absolutely and this my story is tied back to a company called delo so i'll explain what you know why so i'll start with the word that you used lead right so lead is a standard for new construction of any kind of building because we could be an office building could be a multifamily, in such a way that it's in environmentally better. So it uses less energy, it, it, you know, it's holistically um, healthier, but, but for the most part, lead is tied to energy, to energy consumption. You wanna reduce mm -hmm. energy. The problem with lead is you're only talking about 5% of the buildings on the planet, the brand new ones. But what do you, what do, you do with the remaining 95% of the buildings on the planet? So back in 2012, there was a guy named Paul Shala, who was, uh, who with his brother, Peter Shala, was a top level guy at Goldman Sachs. I mean, these were people talking to Lloyd Blankfein every day. That's how high they were, they were the organization. And they felt that what LEED was doing was very short-sighted. They were only going after new construction. 95% of the buildings are already built. So they started a company called Delos and Delos basically focused on the other 95%. And to do that, they spent a hundred million dollars of their money and Goldman Sachs money to create the well-living standard. 
So they built an institute, the IWBI, the Institute of, uh, of Wellness. It's an international well-building institute is the name of the uh, institute. And that institute created the well-building standard. It's a logo. Like if you go to like 6,000 Chase branches in the US, Chase Morgan, JP Chase Morgan branches, you see a logo outside called well-living. What that means is this existing building is well-certified for air filtration, water filtration, circadian rhythms. It basically is a healthy place, right? Some of the least healthy places in America are indoors, are the buildings we live in and work in are ridiculously unhealthy compared to walking outside. And most people don't know this. It's simply a lack of knowledge. So the, the goal of the Well Living Institute was, was um, to, to disseminate this and create a standard, not just for new construction, but also for existing buildings. And it sort of exploded so much so that today, LEED, which has 20 billion square feet under contract, is in partnership with Well. Right, so the, the two companies became um, partners together and they, they present at all of the big conferences together and they, be, they have joint certification programs with LEED primarily being for new construction and WELL being for both new construction and existing buildings. And as those standards were defined, this thing called ESG erupted, exploded. So ESG basically is a standard designed by one company called BlackRock and it's a, it's a standard that they enforce on any kind of business, on any kind of real estate saying, you're either good for the environment or you suck at it. So obviously oil companies bad, you know, uh, Tesla good, that sort of thing. But it's now you know, applied to everything. And why does it matter? Because ESG is now the basis on which a all the large trillion dollar funds are making investment decisions. So it became you know, massively large in three years. So this company, Delos, as you can imagine, once pandemic happened and once ESG happened all at the same time, Delos became an absolute unicorn. We realized we could be on their coattails. So we created a company called Ugrow, which is basically a wellness living real estate company that uses two incredible trends. Number one, 100% of our units are well living units, filtered air, filtered water, circadian rhythms. You can use your smartphone to see how clean your air is. Uh, and, and, and your water is. And then the second trend was build to rent, BTR, which we believe is a new multifamily, right? It's, it's new construction multifamily, but it's not like dense multifamily. It's not one building with 25 families living in it, but it's a town home or a very small single family. So we took build to rent, combined wellness living, and opened a company called Ugrow went to our investors, told them we need a very large amount of money. They gave us $120 million. And then we partnered with Delos itself. And our investors have now invested $10 million into Delos, the company as well. And I'm on the advisory board of, of Delos together with Deepak Chopra, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and uh, Lloyd Blankfein, the past CEO of, of, uh, of Goldman Sachs. So my goal now is I'm continuing to do what you do, Reed. I'm continuing to buy value-add buildings because boy, do I need tax savings personally, right? So, I, and you know, there's nothing better than buying buildings as a general partner. So I, I continue buying those. And of my 800 investors that are currently invested in projects, there's maybe 300 that are invested in value-add. But the rest of my investors are following me into this new world of build to rent new construction with 100% wellness living. And that's the story. That's, this is why I disappeared. At the beginning, when I walked in, you said, why haven't I seen you for 18 months? And the answer is, I had this big, hairy, audacious goal and was taking 80 hours a week. And I didn't have the time to show up at the same conferences that you speak at. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. Yep. No, no, they, look, and I love, I love what you, you, you built here. And thank you for, for bringing, you know, educating us on IWB and ESG, because mm -hmm. it's important to understand how that it all ties into lead. 
I'm a former structural engineer. I built a lot of projects across uh, the US, UK, Australia, and it is, um, yeah, you're right. It is such a big area of the market that they're not serving, right? And my, my, my wife's an interior designer as well. And, you know, I've always joked that lead was, is it a, an excuse for, for GCs to slap on a little bit extra, you know, cost? Um, you know, they, they talk about lead equivalent. But to to the existing buildings, and I own old buildings. Like, how do you come in and replace the HVAC? How do you come in and replace the the inefficiencies in windows, um, or you know, the you know the the, the piping, the, the the cast iron piping, all that you know, interferes with how uh, we as humans live. So are you doing that in a space like for value, like, you know, the people who own fifty to $60,000 a year, or are you only doing it in the top end, you know, people who own $100,000 a year? Because so, they're two, they're two, they're two yeah. different markets and they're, they're two different rent premiums. And I could only imagine that at the end of the day, you're a business and it needs to pencil out. Absolutely. So, so most of Delos's business, I'll start with them and then I'll come, you know, answer your question. Most of Delos's business is, you know, office buildings, stadiums, centralized, where where the HVAC systems are centralized, so it's easier to tweak them and improve them. They haven't done much with multifamily. And the big reason for that is that apart from the 200 unit buildings that you and I own, it's very hard. It's a, it's a very it's a very scattered market because there's tens of millions of homes with homeowners that may or may not be able to pay for these kinds of upgrades. So Delos, for the first six years, didn't look at the single family market at all. Then they became aware that this, the multifamily market is starting to transition from just multifamily buildings to build to rent. Keep in mind that five years ago, so there's about 330,000 new multifamily units built in the US every year. That's the average. So a million every three years. Out of that 330, 1% was built to rent five years ago. And, and this, I think, number is going to shock you. This year, the number is over 20%. Over 20% of multifamily construction in the US is now built to rent. It's gone from nothing to 20% so fast that most people haven't even realized just how much market it's taken. $75 billion was raised after the pandemic by various entities just to build built to rent. And so they always became aware that built to rent was this new supernova and people that were building, like me, thousands of units of, of built to rent, we could make that decision instead of individual homeowners. So we could basically, as we were building class A properties, most built to rent, by the way, is class A. You can't really build much built to rent that's class B. I've built some, but my focus is on building class A built to rent. So to me, adding $1,800 per unit to give me the air and filtered water. When I do the math on that, that's only $30 a month in rent. I can sell that to class A. I cannot sell it to class C at all. Right. So to right. me, it, it, the business case made sense. So what I my company does is every time we build a built to rent unit, Delos is already in there. And my buildings are powered by Delos. They are Delos powered wellness living. The logo, the brand is so amazing. In Texas, when people are walking in, they can actually smell the difference and feel the difference. And then we get phone calls, our leasing agents get phone calls saying, hey, the, this other person heard that you, know, that you can live in a building with purified air and water and they wanna come in and live here, they wanna check it out. So $30 more, we're getting leasing efficiencies that are massive because the building is, it filters out COVID, but just so you know, the Delo system completely filters out COVID, and it wasn't obviously the system was designed well before COVID, but it luckily was the particle size for COVID was such that it doesn't go through a Delos filter; it gets stuck. So the buildings mm -hmm. internally don't have any COVID. The, the you know the air is being yeah, circulated, and it's sucking all of the COVID out. So I mean this this stuff has just exploded. ESG now for those of you that don't know, just Google the word "what is ESG," and you'll notice that it is a trillion dollar initiative. And it's led by BlackRock, the largest holder of assets on the planet. BlackRock invented ESG, right? And, and by the way, most Republicans hate it because it's enforcement of social and environmental standards on companies. But what can they do about it? They, BlackRock is basically the biggest um, you know, entity on the planet. They're holding $7 trillion worth of assets. It's, it's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, it still begs the question of the other 
the stuff, you know, the, the, the how do you get it into? I own a building that's built in 1965. It's a pain in the ass to try and upgrade everything, and 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 you know there there seems to be a, a, a gap missing. It's great for Class A, it's great for people who can afford it, but where the need has always been, which is what we are, you're still in, and I I own is is that more of workforce affordable housing. So how do you think it's going to transition, if at all, into that space? to provide it to the wider public. Do, do sure. you think it's got a future in that? It absolutely has. And I'm, I'm going to give you information now that's, that is, has only, I've only been allowed to tell people about this since yesterday. Um, so I have a role on the Delos board. I mean, and, and obviously there's superstars on this board, like, you know, Leo DiCaprio, right? It, Jennifer Lopez does ads for Delos all the time. You can, you can Google them. So there, my goal is how do we take the Delos product and move it forward backwards, not, not just at new construction products where we're having success, and look at class A, how do we retrofit? And then class B, how do we retrofit? And then class C, I don't think that we'll ever get to class C, but I think class B buildings, and there's so many of them, I think that that $30 premium works. And I'll tell you why it works. Once the well standard and the Delos seal become visible on most buildings. Right now, Chase Bank, you go in there, it's there. Yankee Stadium is well certified. More and more that that seal becomes visible, it becomes easier and easier for class A people to pay a premium. Once class A people are paying a premium, it becomes easier for the Bs to pay a premium. So it's a trickle down effect. And I think it takes an entire decade, a decade and a half to get this done. But I think it's it's a one-time transition that really has to happen because I, I don't think the costs are that atrocious. People are not going to pay $100 a month for this. Like, but in some areas, by the way, it's happening and it's explosively profitable. Let me give you a number that you as an entrepreneur are going to be blown away by this, right? You and I sit around a table and we talk about we're going to rehab this unit and rehab that unit. We do that. It's part of our life, right? So we sit down and somebody says, okay, well, we're going to spend $9,000 and we have on this unit and we have this three-year return. That's very common, right? We talk about that. What if you had a product that had an eight-week ROI, eight mm. weeks, right? It's not my product. I'm just telling you a story that's just so mind-blowing, right? Delos has a product called StayWell, where they upgrade 100 hotel rooms in a day. And the very next day, because that room is now a StayWell-branded room, it gets a $30 a day premium. And because of that, all of MGM, all of Marriott, all of their luxury hotels are now being upgraded to StayWell, because they're getting an eight-week ROI mm. on their investment. That is how much people care about this stuff since COVID, right? Yeah, and, no. Right? I mean, and, and obviously, I don't know who own hotels, so this is not great news for me, but I'm learning from this and saying, how do I bring this to multifamily? And I think BTR, built to rent, uh, new construction is a great place to start, but I'm really looking forward to taking it to class A. I'm looking forward to talking with Reed about this and doing a, a this is part of my job as, as an advisory board member for Delos is to basically sit down with Reed and say, let's send 10 units, 20 units to you for this building that you have in this nice class B area. Go ahead and upgrade it. Let's charge a premium. Let's see what that number looks like. Let's do more. I, I also think there needs to be, as I, you know, stuff like the hate, the, 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 the nuts and the, the, the meat and potatoes of buildings, right? And, and as things cost more to build from scratch, I have a thesis that older buildings, even in transitioning neighborhoods, are still worth investing in because you're gonna still have people lining up the door who only want to, who can only afford to pay a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks. But I have buildings as well. I like they're only single pane windows, and I'm like, I'd love to have a government subsidy to come and like so I can rip out all the windows and freaking do all the windows again, and and you know I go get an insurance claim on the roof. Okay, roof's done. You know. Orangeburg piping in the ground. I've got to rip that out. Put you know, put put the new you know new, new PVC in. There's all these things that you know that will then, if I do that, that building is now going to last for another 50 more years, right? It's yeah. still going to provide housing in that quote unquote workforce affordable space. That how do you have a combination of government intervention because it co- some of this stuff costs a lot of money with what you're saying and still providing an affordable product? That is the hard trifecta to, to, to nail because there are so many existing buildings out there to your point that do need that love to in order to give them another 50 40 50 years of life down the line i've seen some in markets like phoenix for example i've seen some investors come in 
completely do all the windows, completely do all the roof, do all the horizontal uh, plumbing, do the vertical stacks, do all the HVAC. The building was built in 1960. Well, they've just renovated. It's now a 2020 build product because it's it's now going to last till 2060, right? Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 been breathed more life into it, and it's it, and I just. I'm interested in that because I'm I'm in the you know the coal phase doing it with my some of my properties. But how do you bring what you with you grow into it to try and make it and a, you know some sort of government help because you know developers just can't do it all on their own because you can't just always build new product and, and charge the two thousand dollar rents. It's trying to make it you know more affordable in the same sense. Something that I, I'm very interested in and want to well, definitely talk more about. We brainstormed about this two years ago at a developer conference. And the answer, which I didn't pursue, by the way, at that point of time, is the development industry does not have very strong lobbying. What you're talking about, a public-private partnership to basically modernize millions and millions of units in the U.S. that should have another 50 or 100 years of life if we take care of them, I think Mm -hmm. is a very noble thing to do. It's more noble than what I'm doing. But nobody's actually doing it, right? I'm building more units, and so I'm adding to the supply of the U.S., so I'm proud of that. But I think maintaining the existing supply is something that should be done. And and a lot of this really comes back to lobbying. People are getting money from Congress for all kinds of stupid things, building bridges to nowhere, you know, trying to declare that natural gas is, is clean energy. I mean, all kinds of stupid stuff is being done. I think this is a very noble vision, but I think it all comes back to lobbying because the government needs to play the, a, a key role in this for it to be worthwhile, for the profits yeah, to work. Sure. When I do it in class, yeah. say that tenant can pay $500 a month more. So they're subsidizing all of this stuff for the future. But unfortunately, class A construction, as I said, is, is a tiny fraction of the total volume of the U.S., yeah, look, in the we, 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 I'd love to talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I do want to quickly pivot. You are a data scientist. I want to get your take on the multifamily space, where we are today, where's the economy going. So let's just start with what are your thoughts on? You mentioned earlier you thought the peak had hit in 2017 of valuations, or I think it was 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. When we now came through another even resurgence, even more, just in the last sort of 24 months. Now we're dipping again because interest rates are tied to cap rates. What are you seeing in your crystal ball about where the value of multifamily, existing multifamily is going, and then tying that back to where you think the, the, the economy and the global economy, we're, we're both international. I do look at, you know, I, I said to someone on a podcast before, show me in history when every single central bank has risen rates and has the same problem that every other single central bank has, which is inflation and global supply and, right. you know, COVID. I can't point to that, so it's a very new world we live in. But but back to my original question: valuations of multifamily. Where, how's that affecting you know where we're going? Where's the economy, and and what does that mean for for for, for global recession if we're we're heading into one? Absolutely. So um, I think a recession in the U.S. is inevitable at this point. The Fed has only once succeeded since 1961 in avoiding a recession when they're raising rates to kill inflation. So they've tried it nine times. They won all nine times, just so you know, the Fed's very good at killing inflation, but of eight of those nine victories came with an artificial induced recession, right? Eight times. And uh, the, the ninth time, the one time that they did succeed, they were raising rates at a third of the speed that they're raising at right now. So the last four increases were 075 Collectively, that's a 3% increase in the Fed funds rate. That is the fastest single increase in history. I don't think that that in any way combines with getting away without a recession. So you end up having a recession, but I think it'll come later than most people think. I I hear people thinking we're in a recession or we're going to be in a recession in Q1. I find that our unemployment rate is ridiculously low. It still stayed at 3.7. The numbers came out yesterday for the last month. It didn't budge. And I don't think that it's possible to really go into a recession until you hit 4.5%. So I'm thinking the recession is the second half of next year. And the, the Fed will need to continue raising until the third half and then start to basically say, hey, we're done, and then start to maybe do some small cuts to start moving things forward. So firstly, I think this is longer than most people make it out to be. That's what data science shows. I have a very detailed model. I'm going to send it to you just for your comments and you know critique. I love getting critique from industry professionals like you. But I, I think what happens is we see values of multifamily continuing to drop until the end of next year. So I think that there's great buying opportunities here. This is a great time to be buying 
um, especially starting next year. So once, you know, I still think that prices are dropping for multifamily. I think that they will continue to drop. Um, I've seen, in my mind, I've seen 10 to 12% drops in markets, as many as 12% in terms of price drops from, let's say the peak, whatever the peak was. Some people think it was Q4 of last year. Some people think it was Q1 of last year. Whatever that peak was, I think we've, we've dropped about, you know, 10, 12%. Now we may not have dropped in dollar value, and I'll tell you why, that's because net operating incomes have been going up. But if you adjust for the fact that we had significant rent increases this year, values have fallen. So an adjusted value per door is down eight to 12%. And I think it goes down another five, six, 7%. I don't know when it, it goes down. My current model as a specific month where I think we hit the, the lowest um, you know, price per door, the adjusted price per door. Remember, NOI continues to increase, so we may not be seeing a dollar in decrease. Um, so I think that happens in Q4 next year. Um, but I'm very, 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 very bullish with multifamily in 2025 and 2026 because of that, because we are now, I have proof that supply holes are being created already across the US. The biggest benefit that multifamily is accelerated household formation, but because you know the six months or 12 months before a recession, during the recession and the 12 months after recession, we don't build enough single family in this you know, country and we build very little multifamily. So we've already seen a small drop in multifamily and a large drop in single family construction in the, in the country. Phoenix, for example, in November saw a 70% cancellation rate for new, new construction single family. 70% of the people that had put down deposits for the homes to be built for them walked away. Why? Because they saw what was happening to rates and they knew they wouldn't qualify. So we're creating this big hole on the single family side. We're not yet creating a multifamily home. I haven't really seen a huge drop there, but I think it's coming in the next six or seven months because financing is so difficult and so tight and so expensive. So I, I do think that we'll create a hole there. Now, will we benefit from this hole next year? Absolutely not. That's not what my data shows. My data shows during a recession, even though we have, we don't have a shortage during the recession because household formation in the US becomes negative six months before a recession and tends to stay negative three months after the recession ends. So we basically have a shrinkage. People go live with mom in their basement, in their cars, they, they double up. They do whatever's necessary to get through that recession. So we don't get the rent benefit during that time, even though supply is dropping. But the moment the recession ends, three months later, household formation starts to become positive. And then six months later, it's quite positive. Then nine months later, we're developing a shortage. And then 12 months later, rent tends to explode. And I think that explosion happens at the end of 2024. And we have an incredible 2025 in terms of rents. So what you're saying is if you bought in the last 12 months, hold on. <laughs> hold on for dear life. I know it's hard. I know you've got challenges. Hold on. Because if you're, if you're penciling a second half 2024, first half 2025 exit, if you can make it there, you're going to do good. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And yeah, all no, of this I, inflation is going to help you. I mean, inflation is not going away. It's going to moderate to the point where it's not crazy and it's not destroying our financial system. But if it moderates, I think it moderates to 3%. Well, look at the last 30 years of rent. If inflation is 3%, rents are 4 If inflation is 4%, rents are 5 Show me a time in the last 30 years, except for 2009, when rents were lower than inflation. It doesn't happen. Mm, interesting. No, I, look, man, as I said, I could talk to you for hours on end because there's so many questions I have out of that around the different buying opportunities and how you know things you, you mentioned earlier on in the piece about buying housing at 40% of what it costs to build. Well, I know stuff in Phoenix and Austin and, and Dallas are now tr existing stuff's trading at or above replacement costs. Mm -hmm. But then you look at the replacement costs and the, the difficult to get it in the ground. It's not, it's nearly like, well, I just, I'm going to just go buy this existing deal because it's already, it's already there. In most cases, I think it makes sense to buy those deals. Uh, obviously, you know, financing being an issue today, because I can tell you this, Texas is an area that I'm an expert in because I've built, you know, all around Texas. And I can tell you this, Texas is now running out of cheap land with zoning with permitting and with utilities. Cities like Maynard, Maynard's, uh, sorry, not Maynard, Taylor's. Taylor's is famous city because Samsung's putting a $17 billion plant there, right? Guess what Taylor did? They called all the developers today and uh, together and said, 
Uh, we lied to you when we said we had enough sewage. We gave all of our waters to Samsung because chip companies need trillions of gallons of water. We gave it all. So sorry, we have, you can't build anything here because if you build it, you have to dig your own wells. This is mm. happening across the board in the United States. It's, it's happening so much in Texas, especially because of the growth. It's happening in Georgia. It's happening in Florida, where cities basically built sewage infrastructures 20, 30, and 40 years ago. And they're now at the point where they don't have the money to expand them or build new infrastructures. And so the U.S. is running out of land again, cheap land, right? We, we have the most empty land of any country in the world, but it's not of any use to anybody because it doesn't have roads. It doesn't have infrastructure. It doesn't have sewage. So it's practically worthless for housing. Right. I, I, as I said, could, could, could talk about that, that issue because I, I actually built a lot of um, – stuff here in Long Beach in, in California. And if you know anything about development, there's development fees to the city and infrastructure upgrades, particularly around water and gas. And it's not on the city to upgrade the lines. It's on the developer who's trying to tap into that. Yeah, More toilets, more gas uh, stoves, uh, more HVAC equipment. All of that comes with a fee and you have to do an upgrade, right, yep. of, of either the connection or, or whatever that might be, in right. order or to build get new one to, connections if they're not there yeah, already. Yeah, right, build build new connections, or you know, tapping into an existing infrastructure that doesn't can't support you. Well, guess what? You you then put your money into some pool that's apparently supposed to, you know, miraculously make the existing system better. But you know, if you oh, it's two years, so you have to wait for a while for that to happen, right? I mean, it's just that's right. It slows everything down. I'm projects that where my infrastructure was take, supposed to take five months are taking twelve. Right oh, yeah. now in, right. in the time, I mean, because of rent increases, that's fine. My budget still works, but the, the, the slowness is happening across the board in growing states. I'm not seeing it as, as much in, in the Midwest or in the Northeast, but in, in uh, the, the smile states, the Southwest states, everyone's running out of infrastructure. And this is not being talked about enough. We, we're hitting this crazy big thousand foot high infrastructure wall. Yep. No, it, it, and there's a demand of keep moving and, and wanting to move around the country and all that sort of stuff. So as I said, Neil, I could talk to you for hours, but at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. Ready to get into it? Yeah, absolutely. Mate, question number one is, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? It's called Miracle Morning. I wake up in the morning. I've read this book. It's absolutely amazing, by the way. And it gives me an hour to really organize myself. And I think I'm 50% more efficient. Love it. I completely agree with Miracle Mornings and or any sort of meditation, sitting down, writing, no screens. You know, it's no screens. Be Absolutely no, no screens. screens. Yeah, that's and no, no outside distractions. Even no like listening to, you know, got to get on the screen to get the audio, you know, nothing. Nothing <laughs> so, like that, no. I absolutely love it. Question number two is, who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Um, Elon Musk. I think today Musk. he is, uh, Musk is uh, a pariah. But I think... And I, I'll, people hate me for saying this. I think Musk is trying to heal the world, try to improve the world. If you look at his track record, that's what he's trying to do. He's, he's bumbling. He makes mistakes. He says stupid stuff, especially on Twitter. But having said all of that, this person has a drive and a desire to change the world and make it better. And I admire that. Hmm. Interesting. No, I like, I like that take on that. Question number three, in your business, what is the most influential tool? And then when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a, a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software. You just can't run the business without. What is it? Uh, my army in the Philippines. From the very beginning, <laughs> I said for every person I hire in the US, I will hire three in the Philippines. They'll be full times. They will work eight to five Pacific, and I won't call them virtual HR organization in the Philippines to support them, to make them better. I'll pay them bonuses. I'll pay them profit share. I built that team and it makes me, you know, godlike in my abilities to, of what I can do. Love it. Love it. Uh, question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What'd you learn from that failure? Um, ego. I think that at some point, I started drinking my own Kool-Aid. I started believing that things that I said were true because I said them, because there were thousands of raving fans cheering me on. And I think that you make mistakes. Like in my case, in my, my, one of my, um, the people that I look up to, Elon, has just made a very big mistake with Twitter. I think that he should, should have never bought Twitter. And I think that that's what happens. You, it's a process where you have so many victories that you start to believe that victories happen because of you. 
The truth mm. is you happened because of the victories. Some of them had nothing to do with you. They built right. you up. You didn't build them. No, checking you out the door is such an important thing, particularly as you're a leader of a company, of an industry, trying to be a thought leader. Yeah, having having your two feet on the ground is and not not uh, not getting swept off uh, with head, head in the clouds, as they say. Uh, last question, mate, is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? That will be in your sphere. Where do they go? Um, multifamily University is the best. We publish a very large amount of research every year. We are d- geeks and dorks and nerds, and we love to publish information about everything that we're doing. And the best place is Multifamily University. Just type that in. I also am lucky enough to be the only Neil Bawa on the World Wide Web. So simply type in my name, N-E-A-L-B-A-W-A, and you'll see lots of interesting information. So you can add things to that. You can say Neil Bawa Data Science, Neil Bawa Best Cities, or or Neil Bawa Virtual Assistants. And those will give you uh, a bunch of uh, webinars and podcasts about that subject matter. You can also do Neil Bawa Built to Rent or Neil Bawa Wellness Living. I love it. I love it, mate. Well, look, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think, you know, the wellness real estate industry is such an interesting niche and being, I've built a lot of stuff over well over a decade coming as a structural engineer across many different countries. Uh, I love it in, in that it's pushing it forward in a way that we want to live cleaner and live better in terms of our where we live within our boxes. The, the, the question that I have, and it's still unanswered, is how do we do it for everyone? You know, existing buildings, revitalizing existing buildings, all that good sort of stuff, and making it profitable, right? Yeah. We won't be doing it otherwise; it's not profitable. But there is a need there, and it's a it's a it's government partnership, uh, government private partnership, which you, I agree with what you, you're saying. Really, really love that. Um, also, love what your 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 thoughts on the economy and how infrastructure is not many people are talking about i and i can completely see that from my background and being in development as you grow that 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 um that taylor you know where where, where uh samsung's being built it's yeah you can't just have a little town have a massive mega factory come in and then not think this, the infrastructure is going to break right and, and and thinking more of future proofing certain cities in to allow growth but no one wants to invest in that. No politician wants to invest in that because it's it takes too long, yeah. right? Uh, and so that in itself is going to be a massive problem coming into uh, 2023 and beyond. Um, and then your your thoughts around you know where we're thinking uh, interest rates are going to go and the price of housing. I like what you said about you know where do you think you know, rents are? You know, t- talking about the compression of housing um, household formations versus coming into a recession, going after a recession, and then the the growth of of rents thereafter. So if you can hold on and you bought something and you you, you you're white knuckling it right now. Keep white knuckling it until you can't. Until you can't, um, because Neil said it here. Twenty twenty five. We're going to hold it to it, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll listen back and uh, hopefully in twenty twenty five, rents are going through the roof. But did I leave anything out, my friend? No, that was uh, that was very comprehensive, Reed. It was. It's been an absolute pleasure doing this. Let's do it again. Awesome, my, awesome, my friend. Well, look. Thank you again for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your time in Asia because I know you're going there, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Well, there you have another cracking episode, Jam Pack, with some incredible advice from Neil. If you do want to check him out, it's Neil Bawa uh, online. Google his name. He's also got the Multifamily University, where there's a bunch, a ton of information that comes out from him and his team. It's definitely subscribe to that. I want to thank you all for t- tuning in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. The easiest way to give back to this show, if you do like this show and to keep us going, give us a five-star review on iTunes. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. <laughs>